Hi, welcome to another episode of Dawncast. My name is Kathy Ngo. And I'm Di Lee. Today we have a special guest, Vanessa Cullen, who is the Managing Director of Ford Thinking Design, a 17-year-old certified B Corp company and one of the most awarded brand strategy and built environmental design studios. Welcome, Vanessa. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. How are you doing? Pretty good, yeah. Um, I would say at the start of COVID, I was, you know, obviously like everyone else kind of rattled and trying to find my feet and everything. But um, things have been really interesting. Um, Really, I've seen uh, a lot of shift in terms of people wanting to reach out to us and reach out to my business. And that's been really buoying. Um, And, you know, we're seeing our clients kind of getting a bit more confident now and everyone's just in a better headspace. So (laughs) things are quite a lot better. And so, inter- oh, sorry, we've got a bit of a few technical things happening here. <laughs> um, Catherine's talking about B Corp. What does it all mean to be a B Corp certified or B Corp organisation? Uh, well, B Corps are businesses that do good. So we sort of say the B stands for doing business better and, and being a benefit corporation. Um, so what that means is that we're actually as diverse as it comes really in terms of what types of businesses we are. Some of us are social traders. Um, so we're like social enterprise type organisations. And then others are businesses that have really just met the parameters for international certification and recognition as a B corporation. So when we say that we're business for good that covers everything from environmental impact social impact um, the way in which you treat your staff your suppliers customers etc um, whether you've got social purpose so it's actually it's very broad um, but if you can think of the certification it's like almost going for a business award where they pull apart every part of your business and um, it's a independent organization who vet us and they look at everything like financials governance you name it um, so B corporations are business that are a bit different to your typical for-profit. We are for-profit organisations, um, but we really have mission and purpose at the heart of what we do. So, so that underpins everything. I'm, I'm currently going through that process as well and there's a lot mm. of questions and I'm glad there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of questions because you definitely want, like I think everyone wants to do good these days, but like mm. good means different to a lot of People like it has to be really genuine. Um, so congratulations on the B Corp status. Is there a cost? Is there a cost? Thank you. Is there a cost? There, yeah. there is. Yeah, it's scaled according to the size of your organisation. Um, but the you know the benefit <laughs> outweighs the the cost because it's typically just a recognition for what you're already doing in your business anyway. But um, Kathy's right insofar as it takes a lot to meet the rigorous standards, which is what we want, right? Like you want to know that if you're buying from these businesses that they've been certified and recognised and scrutinised so it's not just like greenwashing. Mm-hmm. And so, so tell us a bit about your business. What, what, uh, mm-hmm. what industries do you service? Uh, so we service um, hospitality, retail, uh, service-based businesses, government, and our, um, I guess, our social work is with charities and not-for-profits and other social enterprises as well. So the work that we do is in um, business strategy and it's applied to built environment. So we began, we began as an interior architecture and interior fit-out design firm. Um, but as we've evolved, people have recognised that not only are we great for design, we're 
we're also really good at business and we understand like how design thinking can be applied to business problems. Um, and so what that's meant is that we've become kind of known as the company that you get on board if you're a startup or if you're looking to pivot in the market. And we help you to think through all the problems in business and all the opportunities and to co-design with like your staff and your customers and everything about how you're going to get a better return on investment on your space. So any type of space, any type of built environment um, that you occupy. You talk about design thinking and I hear mm. a lot about that mm. around. Mm. <laughs> what, is it, what does it mean for people who think it's a sexy term but doesn't know what it means? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it is bandied around a lot. And for a lot of people, it's, it's really a process of problem solving. Um, but I guess in the way that we apply it, the way that we kind of define it is that it's really about engaging with the users and the consumers and the market. So it's like a sort of a deep market research that actually empowers people, gets people involved in the creation. Um, so first of all, you look at like context, um, the environment which you operate, you really dive deep into the identity of you and your business and your market. And then you engage all the people together to then come up with like, what is our point of view? What is our strategy? What is our intent? So once you've got all that mission stuff done, on, that leads on to like putting the strategy in writing and then from there you create ideas so that's like the mind mapping and creation we guide our clients through that and then from there you prototype so even in the terms of like space prototyping can actually just be working things out as drawings and that sort of thing and then you go through execution and so that would be in our case like doing detailed drawings for development applications, CDCs, that sort of thing. And then obviously you execute your project. And the important thing at the end of that is that you go back and evaluate, like, did we meet the original aims of um, our research and what our users hoped? And did we achieve social impact and those sorts of things? So that's a long-winded explanation of design thinking, but I think it is best to define it according to how you're using it. Um, for us, it's it's about using a process. So that's what we see as design thinking. Could you give provide an example where you of a business or a, a charity that you work with and provide your service, like? Just a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll give you an example of three because they're all the same type of business. So one example um, of the charity type work that we do is that we've designed quite a few community food co-ops. Um, so there's Alfalfa House, which is in Sydney, Flame Tree, which is down in Thrill, um, and Manly Co-op, we did some consultation for them as well. So these are organisations that are um, places you can come to buy local organic food, um, but they're run largely by volunteers under a co-op structure. So the reason each of these has come to us is because they say, well, we've got X amount of dollars um, that's been donated or that we've raised from our business and we want to renovate and redesign our store. But we know that if we did this ourselves, we have very limited understanding of really the technicalities of this, even down to like work health and safety. We don't understand how to position products to boost sales in an ethical way. Um, so they don't really understand those things. So we've worked with each of them to get all their volunteers and get the community involved in coming up with the ideas and structuring it, meeting their needs and meeting ergonomic requirements um, 
like to create universal design, for example, and then getting everyone involved in actually building the fit out. So even getting like artists involved to do murals and things like that. And the benefit of having us involved is that we take that say $50,000 for the renovation and we amplify the impact compared to if they'd just done it in-house themselves. Right. Um, how, how did you get to do what you're doing now? What, what took you there? What road did you take to get there? Um, well, I studied design at university and um, during that time, I just picked up some freelance jobs on the side, <laughs> like as you do, you want to get some experience. And I started out more in graphic design, but then um, I just kept getting more and more paid work. And I went out from university and worked for a few design firms, but I was actually really unhappy with the ethics in the industry. So as I built up more and more work myself, um, I got to a point where I said, look, I can't sleep at night with the ethics that I'm experiencing in the industry. I've got enough work to be able to do this full time uh, myself. And so from there, I started to hire people and build the company. So it was really an ethical decision. So it's funny when you talk about us as a B corporation or a social traders enterprise, we've been that since before those things even existed. <laughs> so it feels like the world has actually caught up with us now rather than um, that we were created in this way. Like it was always my vision from the beginning to be about purpose and to work in a better way or a different way. So, so, yeah. so kind of like a pioneer, like you've sort of led the way already in terms <laughs> yeah. of all this ethical social enterprise set up. Yeah, it, it was funny because I almost didn't see it happening and then – um, I think it was like, I was looking at reframing the business about three years ago and I suddenly went, oh, there's other people like us now. <laughs> we could be part of the community. Yeah. So you mentioned about ethics and for those who are mm. not in the industry, like a, the creative industry, what are some yeah. of the things or ethical dilemmas that you see that we may not necessarily come across? That's a great question. Um, it's oh, There's a lot. So it can be things like um, just respecting the intellectual property of other creatives. Um, so that was one thing that I really uh, sort of found in the industry wasn't really being respected enough. Um, unfortunately, in interior architecture and fit-out design, it's unregulated too. So you have a lot of people who enter practice who don't necessarily have qualifications. And unfortunately, that has led to um, a race to the bottom in terms of fees. So so that has the impact of meaning that people get exploited at work. So people are not necessarily being paid um, for the number of hours that they put in. The, the rates are very low and there's a lack of respect for the um, for the professionalism required to do the job very well. And then obviously, too, there's also... Um, the sense of responsibility and ethics around the fact that you are creating things. So we create experiences and we kind of manipulate how people think and, and you know, how they experience space, but also the products that they buy. Um, and so from my point of view, I see that as such a powerful thing that I can only use it for good. So there are certain clients that we actually will say no to that, you know, there's some work that we won't do because I realise how powerful my um, ability to persuade is and the ability of my team to persuade. Mm. It's interesting because um, we've had another person that we interviewed. Uh, she's mm. the founder of an organisation called World Citizens Artists mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and her, her work or her, her perspective is that it has to be ethical and um, yeah. she applied. She she got some grant from um, this organization or this one individual in the states, and that individual was associated with um, a political party that she mm. didn't really believe in. 
So apparently it's one million dollars, and she said she turned it down. <laughs> a, a, yeah. hidden, a hidden agenda. <laughs> and I said, "Oh my God, you turned that down?" She goes, "Yes, because it just mm. did not align with my my social and ethical values." So I, she and she was struggling because it's it's a artist organization. So it must be difficult when you make that ha- have that mm. kind of belief that that is my my ethical value, and therefore. You prepare. You would. Would you be prepared to say, okay, I'm not going to touch that, even though I'm, I need. I'm needing the funds. Would Would mm. you get to that, or have you been to, at in that situation? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. No. Um. Oh my gosh, I've made that decision so many times, and it's been everything from certain like fast food operators through to um. We even have been contacted to do, uh, like offices for companies really heavily in uh, gambling, and then cigarette companies and things like that, and um. So I have, I've knocked back some really huge work and, you know, it's like, well, that seems quite foolish from a business point of view, but, you know, I set the business up so I could sleep at night and my, my team believe in this and our clients believe in it. And the other thing is too, that I only need to go to one of my charity clients and sit down with them and the people that they serve to be brought back to earth. So, for example, um, Lentil is anything who a lot of people would know. Yes. They're one of our clients. Yeah. yeah. Lentil. <laughs> Love them. Lentil. Yeah. Lentil, Lentil is anything. Is anything. Oh, yeah. It's okay. Play on words. But they're in Newtown. Yeah. Um, the Bohemian side. I was actually around that area yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, tell us. So they're, yes. a, they're a pay-as-you-can-afford restaurant. Um, so, you know, back before COVID, you could go in there and sit down. You sit at a communal table. And on your left, you might have someone who's homeless who's eating for free. And on your right, you might have the CEO of a company or something like that. But if you sit there and you talk to people of all walks of life, you know, you see that some people get by on nothing. And and if you can see that, then the consideration that I might turn down some work because, you know, it doesn't comply with my ethics, I, I can do that because... I can say, well, I can live a more minimalist and simple life. You know, I don't need the money, that sort of dirty money or that money that doesn't sit well with me because I can sit next to this homeless person and, you know, they're, they're, they're living. I'm not going to die because I've turned down that one project. And, you know, my team and I can just work harder to bring in more of the right sort of, sort of work for us. So it certainly keeps us energised. We have to probably work harder than most because we're not okay. accepting everything that comes in through the door. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's much, much yeah. harder. How, how are yeah. you finding with COVID-19, how has that impacted uh, in terms of your operations? Uh, initially it was massive so we lost everything in our um, in our pipeline everything because we had um, a project that we were doing which was a building master plan for a golf course that was looking to um, pivot and reconnect with their community and offer like more hospitality and get away from the emphasis on like um, drinking and gambling and those sorts of things and so obviously they had to close down um, we had to put that project on hold thankfully it's come back online now because they're on JobKeeper um, but initially that was okay just shut that down um on top of that we had like for example we were doing a gym design and you know we're just starting that off (laughs) yeah and I had to be put on hold um and we had a few other things around like hospitality coming along and everything just went on hold but thankfully since then um as I say JobKeeper's brought a few things back online we've also had some new projects come up uh, a few office projects and that sort of thing and um I guess 
we've also had more uh, customers come to us or clients come to us around like work, health and safety, moving back into their spaces, um, reconsidering how does space work in this new environment um, and even just for consultancy work as well. So it's picking up, thankfully, but it was devastating to begin with. I remember your email that came out when COVID happened and it mm. was just so raw and there, were, there yeah. was almost beauty in that um oh, thank you yeah <laughs> like I, what, what, what was what was in the email share it please share just, I'll, I'll show you later but yeah. it was just Vanessa like I, I it's very rare that people share that vulnerability mm-hmm. because it's like we know it's shit but you just mm. said it in a way that kind of I don't know it just kind of it, I just felt moved mm. yeah Mm. What did I think you touch? What did you touch upon that moved Catherine so much, uh, Vanessa? I think it was just how you were feeling, and yeah, yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain. <laughs> That's okay. I'll, I'm like, I'm glad it touched you. I, I hope, like, obviously in a good way. That, that you know, it could have been quite triggering, I guess, for some people, but. I'm very much straight down the line. What you see is what you get. And so I think what I was reflecting on was um, I'm an ultra runner. And so I run ridiculously long distances, like 50K sort of races. And um, one of the things about that and also my background as a person who's been through a lot of trauma is that you kind of feel like with coronavirus now, a lot of people are seeing the world in which, in a way in which you've experienced it probably too often in your life already. So you can bring certain insights um, to the conversation. It's like, this is kind of something that I've dealt with before, like not this exact circumstance, but the idea of um, something of being a long struggle where you just need to focus on your survival. So even things like, have I had enough to eat? You know, have I had enough sleep? Am I taking care of myself? Um, so I think what I what I wrote was about that feeling of being on a journey where you just take it one step at a time and you bring it back to the simplest things and the basics and you know you keep thinking that the finish line is just around the corner just around the corner just around the corner and it just keeps going on and on and on and how can you um just push on through that and how can you find the um the resilience and the strength in yourself that you didn't even know you had so i think that's what i was putting out there and I know I was quite um, triggered at the time by a lot of very panicked and divisive stuff that was on social media. And that prompted me to write because um, I believe in speaking out. I don't believe in letting that stuff just go through. And I was really afraid that if people clung on to that division and fear and that it would become a self-fulfilling prophecy oh, so like god you you you, <laughs> you, you, t- you took the words out of my mouth vanessa it's it's, it's, it's exactly i think that's that's the reason that's what we're doing right yeah that's the reason why mm. i you know i thought look we have to create uh, a media f- platform yeah. or a channel that we can have insights stories like this to share that we have been through a lot more and mm. as as the human race, we have evolved so much. Uh, you know, we we had one um, pod, podcast with a uh, with Cecilia, who has been through in terms of um, in, in Korea the struggle of living without food and coming here and having to learn uh, the the English language in order to rebuild her life. So, and for myself, being a refugee, mm. the same thing. So, during this COVID time, just like what you've 
just explain, you think, okay, I have been through a lot. Um, I have survived uh, days, you know, almost suffering from malnutrition mm. uh, on, on, on yeah. a boat that we had no food, or we had food, limited food, but you didn't want to eat it because you couldn't eat. Uh, and mm. you'd think you'd die because you encountered huge storms and all that. And so I think when you look at um, uh, COVID-19 and people panic, people go into mm-hmm. this kind of really selfish behaviour of stocking up and going and, and getting rolls and rolls of toilets and bu- buying all this food, you <laughs> think, Really? Uh, I mean, yeah. there, there are times when, when, when after the war in Vietnam, there was there was no food and we were able mm. to survive. Yeah, it certainly puts you into that perspective that in our life's journey, COVID is just a small smidget of yeah. it. Very impactful smidget. But, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I think I think that's what, like why, why we started Dawn, right? Yeah. Because we want to talk. With peop- we want to share stories of people who've got that lived experience. It's that whole Absolutely. lived experience because I think as a society, we're just so, um, you know, we like to see the shiny lights of social media. And and, and, and we also perpetuate, we contribute, like, as you said, Vanessa, um, mm-hmm. the negativity, the feeding mm-hmm. of the fear. Mm-hmm. And my we what we want to do is not feed into the fear, but we want to feed into the resilience and the hope that you can come out of this and that you can, you know. But uh, mm. I suppose you run, was it you run that long, is it a marathon? <laughs> oh my God, I'm just thinking about no. my knees at the moment. <laughs> you think, um, am I going to get to that finish line? Am I going to get to the finish line? You know, and you have to conti- continually build your resilience, don't you, to, in order to push you to that to the finish line. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm able to run the distances that I have been able to run because... Uh, life has in many ways felt like an ultra marathon. Like I've been through a lot of um, difficult things and fought through a lot of barriers. And, and I take that with me because um, running almost becomes simpler than life because it really is about one foot in front of the other and, you know, eating and drinking and and not not getting lost and things like that. So it's a good analogy for life, but um, yeah, I think, you you know, can you share, give us a little glimpse of, um, something that you know that that you know that you were in the fires, like how how you rose from that from that fire. Is there a particular fire that you can share with us? Like yeah. a tipping point or oh, something. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Is there you know when you talk about hunger, like was yeah. when when was that moment when you felt that you know there was no food and you ha- you survived mm. that? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of them in my life, but um, okay, probably. Uh, the most, well, it's not the most recent example, but certainly, actually, I'll just give you a bit of background because it's probably the easy way to do it. But um, when when I was little, like two years old, I was diagnosed with a kidney disease, nephrotic syndrome. And that really plagued me for like the first um, 10 years of my life where I was in and out of hospital all the time, very chronically ill. And, um, you know, you think as a child, like that's very traumatic and difficult, but you think, okay, that's behind me. I, I, you know, I've packed that away and I've changed um, my life and I'm in control of my body now. So then in my early thirties, um, I out of nowhere was diagnosed with a different chronic kidney disease that actually it doesn't have a cure. So it's a degenerative condition. Mm-hmm. And um, that was catastrophic for me because um, I had, fought so hard to feel like I was in control of my health and my body and my identity and and my future. Um, 
and having come out of that, you know, grown up as an adult, I'm no longer a child and, and I can sort of give that child a hug and, and, you know, put it aside. But then to be hit by that again as an adult and have that huge disruption when you're trying to run a business and start, you, you know, you've got a career and everything like that. Um, and for me, it was at first you go through that kind of mourning process, which is very relevant to coronavirus, like the whole experience that people have been through with this wave of like, first of all, it's shock and denial and horror and all these sorts of things. And, and then you get to places of acceptance and making peace, but, but it's not linear and you loop back on that experience all the time. So it's like you think that you're following the wave, but there'll be days or moments where you go back to that panic and anger and fear and all those sorts of things. So having been through a second diagnosis where they said to me, look, you're probably the only person in the world to have been so unlucky as to have both. Um, I think that just going through that whole process of dealing with that really, again, set me up for this current experience that I'm like, oh, I've been here before, <laughs> you know, and, and just seeing people go through that whole grieving process and and being able to talk to people and say are you feeling like this because I'm guessing from my experience you might be and being able to reach out to people so that would be just one example <laughs> so so being diagnosed a second time what did that mean mm. for you how, how did you have to change your way of living um I guess because it's a degenerative condition for it, for which there is no cure. It's um, called polycystic kidney disease. It's not related to polycystic um, ovarian syndrome or anything like that. It's a fully systemic disease, so it can actually affect any parts of your body. It's not just kidneys. Um, I'm lucky insofar as I have really good kidney function, so I'm in very early stages. But um, I happen to have a variant that is unidentified, so it doesn't fit the formula for any previous polycystic kidney disease. Um, they're currently doing gene mapping to try and work out what it is, but it's completely unique. And I didn't get it from my parents. So normally it's a hereditary disease and in my case, it's not. So what that means for me is that we can't look at my parents or previous generations to work out how it might go for me. So every day is just whatever it might be. Um, but in terms of changing my life, I haven't had to do much. I mean, I have to manage a bit of chronic pain and that sort of thing. Um, but it's more with the running and the ultra endurance. I just have to be very careful about how I handle myself um, and being very aware of my own body in that in that so that I have a good balance between like managing the disease but also managing like my hydration and things like that. So it's more just day-to-day -day awareness really, yeah. Mm. So does it impact you like in terms of your what what you need what you can do or can't do uh, for for yourself and your body in terms mm. of in the future is there a limit to what you can and can't do yeah um i mean over time my um my kidney function will decline so but we don't know how quickly that will be about half the people with this disease by the age of 50 um, do actually suffer from kidney failure and there's also a high risk of cardiovascular diseases as well um, so for me i manage my well-being as much as possible with getting enough rest and eating well um, i eat a plant-based diet and you know just trying to take those sorts of precautions doing lots of physical exercise um, I can't control the disease, but what I can do is position myself in the best possible condition for a transplant should I ever need one down the line um, and obviously just be as healthy as I possibly can. Uh, it affects me a bit in terms of fatigue and obviously the pain, particularly at night. Um, so some days I get like 
a little more tired than you would like to be if you're running a business. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but I, I know my limitations and I work around that. And people say to me, how can you even talk about fatigue when you're an ultra runner? But uh, yeah. no, believe me, it's real. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, keep, 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 that, keep that fitness fitness up, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I have no doubt that's probably the reason why you do the ultra ultra running. I mean, well, I love being out in the bush. I love being in nature. And so that's my balance in life. And that's why I do the ultra running because just the idea of the just being outside, you know, running along a coastline or out in the Blue Mountains or something like that, that's my happy place. So, Well, thanks for sharing. That's, I really mm. appreciate that. Thank you. So, Vanessa, tell us what's next for you and also how can people reach you as well to learn more about your business and your running um, as well. Oh, thank you. Do you want people to run with um, you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone's very welcome to come run with me anytime. I won't be able to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I walk a lot as well. And I like I really love my walks and particularly during Corona um, because, you know, I haven't been traveling far afield to go running. I've been doing a lot of walking and I take a lot of my clients out for meetings um, as walks. So rather than getting a coffee, we go for a walk. Or if I've got a call to take, I take it for a walk. Um, I would really suggest that to people. It's a really great way to get away from the desk as well. But in terms of um, what's next for me, um, so in in the business, we're working on a lot of um, creation of ideas, particularly around um, like the future of hospitality in particular, because like, I mean, you take an industry that is about experience um, and it's about sharing and it's about, you know, food and, and all the cultural links to that. And now you make it very clinical because of all the hygiene requirements and you make it about takeaway and turning tables over really quickly because you can only seat 10 people. And you, you just think, well, how does that completely shift that whole dynamic. I mean, what is what is food and sharing about and how does that affect hospitality? Um, so we're working on a lot of looking at what the future of that might be and working with our clients on it. Um, we're also working on some um, ideas around circular economy for fit out. So when you're uh, fitting out a space or you're defitting, so you're demolishing the interior fit out, well, where does all that waste go? Um, so at the moment, we're, we're actually looking for partners in research on this to look at it as a project about how can we um, reduce the amount of materials that are used and make better choices around selections. And then how can we take back all the materials, fittings, fixtures, furniture, and how can we then reuse those things? So how can they be turned into new products or even put into, you know, um, social housing, for example, and other places in which they can go. And the biggest hurdle to that at the moment is really the take back and storage like how do you where do you put it before you can put it into a new place um so we're working on all of that at the moment um so i guess you know keep in contact with me best through linkedin uh, i'm pretty active on there and i post a lot of things a lot of our new ideas um, you can check out forward thinking designs website which is forwardthinkingdesign.com.au um, i'm on social media too on instagram under the business and also under more than pkd um, so that's words more than and pkd stands for polycystic kidney disease that's more of a personal thing where i put up photos of running and stuff like that so <laughs> there you go Thank you. I'll certainly be following that and yeah. I'll probably start okay. running. <laughs> yeah, I'll like try. Fried chicken in my head. <laughs> <laughs> you can yeah. take snacks, at, you know, like dates and things like that. <laughs> oh, sorry. That might have offended you because you have a plant based diet. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. I wasn't plant based my whole life. So. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> 
Well, thank you for joining us, Vanessa. Uh, so everyone, that thank was Vanessa you. Cullen. Uh, my name is Kathy Ngo. And I'm Dai Lee. And uh, thank you for watching us, uh, watching Dawn, Dawn Podcast. Make sure you click subscribe if you want to see more of this content. Uh, with like, the, like the video, put uh, a comment. Or, or the bell, the bell. Yep, click on the bell on the so bell. you can get notified as well for yes. awesome content. So thank us. you. See you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>